Okay, guys, welcome to our bonus uh, podcast. This is the pod tonight where three different time zones meet, actually. I'm the host, Donatus Urbonas, at around 8, 9 p.m. from Vilnius. Snowy, rainy, cloudy Vilnius. And I have two guys from a very nice, shiny <laughs> places, warm places, kind of, you know, uh, something I could dream of. <laughs> so first of all, this is our veteran co-host, uh, the next mayor of Izmir, Eric McCollum, at 9.30 p.m. from Izmir. Hello, Eric. Uh, hello. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> and another interesting basketball mind uh, who is about to make his or bonus uh, debut, NBA champ, Monaco guard, Jordan Lloyd at 7.30 p.m. from Monaco. Hello, Jordan. <laughs> What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, welcome to the show, guys. Uh, as I said, let's 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 try to pretend that it's not late Monday, which is usually very very tough. Uh, at any given day, if you're a basketball player, if you're a journalist, or anybody, we all hate Mondays. But let's 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 inspire people with some uh, great basketball talks, with some great basketball takes, because we have a lot of stuff to discuss. But for before, sure. just just a quick personal questions for both of you. Eric, you're just coming off some crazy game against back-to-back uh, -back Euroleague champs. 29 points, double overtime win. I watched the, I watched the end of the game starting from the fourth quarter. It was, it was incredible, incredible setup for a for a nice documentary or for some highlight reel for the NBA fans. Actually, what what, what was their favorite highlight of the game? It was just the back and forth, the big shots. Just when you thought one team would pull away, um, you know, FS would come down, hit a shot. Um, and then we get down three or four points and then we would come down and, and make a big player hit a shot. It just seems like both teams had that desire, that fight. And, you know, it was a special game. I've never been in a game like that where it's so much back and forth, so many different lead changes, you know, just high level basketball guys hitting extremely difficult shots. And this was a fun night to play. Yeah, yeah, you also made some great shots uh, and you also made this great game winning assist. I would say I just personally I left the last position where Misic decided to pass the ball into the corner because you were like you were free guys about to jump on him not to let him shoot the ball and probably the the guy who get the ball he didn't expect to, to get that ball and to to make that uh, last second layup. Yeah, I think we um we over rotated. We for sure wanted to double him, but I think there was multiple guys <laughs> who had the same thought. You know, I think I was thinking because Miskas was thinking. If we lose, it's not going to be on a Misa shot. You know, we've seen him hit those shots in the year league. We've seen him make those big plays. And we would rather it come from someone else. Obviously, we didn't want to rotate off Clyburn. So that wasn't an option. So we left um, one of the Turkish players, you know, open. And, you know, he had an opportunity. But you live with that. And I think, um, you know, sometimes basketball is a gamble. You need a little bit of luck. And you know, I can live with losing, you know, to a role player. You know, but I can't live with not doing everything I can. Um, as a team and as a uh, individual to get the ball out of the main player's hands. And Jordan, you're having this big game in France. You're playing Aswell, probably we can call it French Derby. Uh, mm. And we just discussed it before the pod, actually. Uh, I forgot the fact that you were coached by Sasha Bradovich in Red Star. And can you compare Sasha Bradovich and his approach before big game against Partizan? back in the day and now uh -huh. uh, before Asphalt game? Yeah, I mean, Sasha's great. I mean, like I was saying, he's like, he's a huge reason I came here to Monaco. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a little bit different, you know, same principles, same methods, you know, just taking down a few levels. You know, I think he's 
really, really embracing like being a player coach and being able to talk and communicate openly with all the guys. So, I mean, any game, obviously he's going to have his like, you know, his how he's going to approach it. He wants us serious. He wants us locked in from if we're on the road, you know, in the hotel the night before, you know, just things like that. But, you know, when we're playing teams that might not be as good per se in the French league, you know, he really just, that's all we talk about is just being serious. You know, we go over the game plan and then after that it's on us, you know, we're professionals. So uh, he does a good job of trying to get us, you know, we have a lot of guys, a lot of personalities on our team and uh, it's very different than probably what he's used to. So he does a pretty good job of trying to maintain and make sure all the guys like stay focused, you know, for a game like that. So, you know, every game we try to have the same mindset, try to have the same mentality, you know, because it's tough between EuroLeague and French League. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, big game versus Asville in the French League tomorrow. So, obviously, it's, it's pretty easy to get up for, for one like that. Speaking of French League, uh, tell me something. Um, I remember when the French League announced that they will have this All-Star game. I was surprised that they scheduled, scheduled it on the same day as you're going to play Yearly game against Jalgiris. Uh then yeah. then there there this moment like now you're playing Asvel on Tuesday. I don't know about the peak times in France, but usually in Lithuania, Tuesday night game is like is like a bad level LK LKL game, I would say. Yeah, I don't know. Like, hey, this is my first year in the league. It's 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 obvious that like they're just trying to put games here or there whenever they can. And then I've heard like the, the season lasts till like almost July. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on, but I've heard, I've talked to some of the guys about last year, they had the same situation. I believe the all-star game was on the same day um, as a yearly game. And I don't know why that's even a thing. I'm, I'm sure they can try to find a, a day that doesn't have that, but um, you know, because the fans want to obviously the people in France, you know, they want to see the best players in the league, you know, and if they're not able to show up for a yearly game, it, it, it's just clashing. So, I have no idea why they decided to do. I don't know about the scheduling. I don't know anything. You know, I just kind of show up. So uh, we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what the guys that made the All Star team going to do. It'll be interesting for sure. By the by the way, regarding this schedule thing, are you aware of when the season might finish in France? <laughs> That's what I was saying. <laughs> he laughing. I know. I've heard. I've heard. It was like June twenty third, June twenty fifth. So. Hey man, at least I'll be in a nice place, you know. Might might stay here. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. But I mean, from the fan perspective, uh, as far as I know, I mean, for example, Metropolitans with Victor Bambaniava, potentially they might make make the finals, and we have uh -huh. the NBA draft on June twenty second. So potentially he might yeah. have to. Uh, skip the French League finals because of the NBA draft. Because, I mean, he's the best projected prospect coming of Europe. And uh, I just don't get it. I mean, there's so much talent over there. Both Asphalt and Monaco, they have the record budgets in, in the entire French basketball history. They have mm -hmm. players like Nando Decol on one side. They have players like Mike James, Elio Kobo, Jordan Lloyd on the other. They have Victor Vembaniava and all these things are happening. For me, for, I'm coming from Lithuania. For me, it's it's tough to understand what's going on there. That's a good point. I didn't even, go ahead. I didn't even think about that though. You you would hope that the French League would um, you know make some adjustments to the schedule just because they sold the rights um, you know to air Victor's game, so they understand what they have. They understand he's special. You know, just for one player, hundred thirty thousand euros. I think Basket News reported it, but um, 
if you see that a guy is that big of a star and has that potential to, you know, bring more recognition to France um, and to bring more growth to more players, you got to give him that moment, you know, going to the draft, you know, seeing my brother get drafted at that time, that was just something special. And I think the work he's put in, everything he's overcome from the injuries, um, you know, from, you know, not being well known early on to becoming this big star, you got to give them that the opportunity if they are fortunate enough to make the finals. Yeah. Okay. So enough of French basketball. Uh, let's hope they're going to solve their yeah. problems tonight. We have an exciting list of, of topics. Uh, first of all, Facundo Campasso is still undecided about where his next team, his next destination, the EuroLeague will be. So we'll make this job for him. We'll decide where he should go. Uh, also, <laughs> we will decide whether whether Maccabi Tel Aviv should fire that Katash or not, since he's on the hot seat. Uh, we'll decide if champs, FS are finally back with this uh, following this four-game uh, winning streak in the EuroLeague. And we'll explain why Real Madrid is the hottest team in the EuroLeague at the moment. So, guys, a lot of decisions to make tonight. Uh, <laughs> let's start with Compasso. I'm During the pod, I'm just checking Twitter tweet because I believe that at any moment we might have uh, some breaking news about his uh, destination, whether yeah. he's coming back to the EuroLeague or he's staying in the NBA, which probably is unlikely, although a lot of different rumors uh, are over here. Uh, but anyways, let's play this hypothetical game. Uh, where you would like to see uh, Facundo Campazzo heading to, which team he would boost the most or which would be the most interesting move uh, by Facundo Campazzo for you as the just EuroLeague fans? Uh, I think for me... Um... It's a simple choice. Um, you go back to Real Madrid. Um, you're already comfortable there. You know um, what you're getting into. Um, you know how you fit. You know the complimentary piece. The team is actually having success. They actually do need a boost in the point guard position. Um, with Lou and you know Rodriguez a little older, um, sometimes having some inconsistencies this season, as we saw early on, that they picked up their play now. But you know what you're getting into. Sometimes when you go to a new situation, it's extremely difficult to to be the savior, you know, Milan's in a bad shape. They're in a bad way. Um, you know, they probably need more than just one player. They need guys just to play to the current level and their abilities and they're struggling. And I believe they have a strong roster. You know, I, I think they have really good players, but for some reason, um, Messina's just not getting the most out of them this year. Um, and, and they're not playing at the level that, you know, we've seen them play at years past on previous teams. And, you know, when you come in and, how do those two fit together when Pangos comes back from a knee injury if he does go to Milan, right? You can't pay those two back in the backcourt together. It's too small. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that can work. But we've seen him in Real Madrid. We know what he can do. Um, it's an easy transition. and I think it's a, a simple choice for him. I'm going I'm to piggyback that. Um, well, I, first of all, this guy was my first year in EuroLeague when I was in Valencia. He was... It was my first time seeing him in Real Madrid, and he was such a game changer. Like <laughs> him on Madrid, it was it was like night and day. And obviously, like kind of like Eric said, like going back to Madrid would be, I mean, like the no brainer. I mean, they're already a great team; they have everything they need. And then him, him and Tavares, that combo was just like really hard to guard. Um, so I could see that happening. And then something I don't think people are talking about maybe would be maybe Partizan. Um, I know it probably wouldn't happen. But I know early in the year they were talking about like looking for a point guard or looking for something like that. But man, if they could find a way to get him in partisan, that would be like kind of an interesting situation because 
like I said, this I've never seen like kind of one player just really just change the game, control the game, get guys involved, score when you need to score, and he's a hell of a defender. So, I mean, he, he kind of checks off all the boxes, and um, that'll be interesting uh, to see wherever he lands. Um, I agree with you about the Milan piece too. Like, I don't – I love their team. They have great makeup. I just don't think with Pangos coming back and things like that that it'll work out. But Partizan is really interesting for me. Not not likely probably, but we'll see. I remember that um... – Actually, Campasso's situation is pretty similar to a Vildoza situation. Uh, both Basconia and now Real Madrid, they kind of own their rag, rights in the ACB league. And there was a bit a big scandal in Spain when Vildoza decided to return to EuroLeague but go to Red Star. And I believe that this whole case might go on court. Uh, but from what I understood, Campos, uh, Vildoza kind of avoided uh, some tough situations uh, by moving to Serbia. Uh, to kind of get him free um, heading into the free agency in summer. And I also thought about this. If Vildoza is going to Red Star, maybe the other Argentinian can go to Partizan. We also talked about it with, with Eric in the beginning of the season, how much they were, they are missing the point guard. But I actually thought about uh, another team, which is loaded with guards, especially with point guards. But I believe they need this boost. And I'm talking about Virtus Bologna. Uh, I love mm-hmm. Daniel Hackett. Milos Todosic is is great. There are some other great Italian players like Paiola, Nico Mannion. But I don't see them as the game changers for Sergio Scariolo as main point guards. I think that whether it's uh, Hackett, Teodosic, they could be a great, great backups for any other title contender team. They bring their own uh, strengths. But Campazzo thing is, as Jordan, you mentioned, he's a game changer. And you're bringing Campazzo uh, to Sergio Scariolo team, you probably have to move uh, some other players. Like, for example, you can t- try to think something of sending Milos Todosic to Serbia. Uh, I don't know whether he prefers Red Star or, or Partizan. That would be a huge boost for both of the teams. So we just talked that uh, Partizan is missing a point guard. Maybe it would be a solution for them. So that's a potential salary dump for Virtus to make a move uh, for Campaso. And for Virtus, they're 15th uh, in the EuroLeague by offensive rating. Uh, in five of 11 games, they didn't overcome 66-point mark. And replacing Teodosic with Campaso, it won't hurt It won't hurt team's defense. It will slightly improve team's defense. And both, they are great creators. So if I'm Virtus owner... I'm going for Campaso because I'm I'm assigning him for like one plus two because they don't have a guaranteed EuroLeague spot. So in case they go back to the Euro Cup, mm-hmm. Campaso is free to go. But by signing Campaso, you improve your chances to go to top eight. And Euro Cup champions, if they make the top eight, they secure the spot in the EuroLeague for one more year. It's, it's according to uh, official rules. And mm-hmm. also... Whether Hackett or Teodosic, they're leaving after the season. They're on expiring contracts. With Campaso, he's still 31. You kind of keep him for the future. He's your future point guard for another three or four years. So I I think it would be a great move. Probably the problem is money. Although Virtus, they have... wealthy owner i'm not so sure if they can you know spend 1.5 or probably 2 million uh, euros that Campazzo might be expecting right now in the market so probably that's that's the biggest issue yeah you guys both made great points um 
I really would like the part of that move, like like Jordan said, just because they're just missing a point guard. That's it. And once they get that, it could change everything. And they've had defensive issues. And what better way to improve your defense than to have a little pest, full court pressing, denying right. everywhere on defense. And Bologna is an excellent example as well, just because when you watch them play, you see all the talent on the roster, but it just seems like they're supposed to play beautiful basketball with all these names, with all this talent. And it's not, it's, it's stuck. It's in the mud. It's slow. It's grinded out. It's physical. And with all these great offensive players, you think it's supposed to flow. It's supposed to be efficient. You're supposed to see easy baskets in, and they're just not manufacturing anything like that. And I think he would be perfect there and he could be a great, you know, solution to a lot of their problems. The only problem is, you know, usually like a player like Composo, he's going to want, you know, to stay in a year elite and to have some um, stability. And that's why I say Madrid, they can give stability. Milan can give stability, but Milan's just a bad situation right now. And do you really want to do that? Messina's already talked about maybe if he can't get them to turn it around, you know, maybe he steps down, you know, so you want to go somewhere where at least you're going to know the coach, you're going to know the system as a player, you know, you're thinking about these type of things and um, you guys make excellent points. It's going to be curious to see, you know, what he does and you know, what team he, you know, brings his talents to. Yeah, even um, and then just to kind of piggyback what you just said about uh, Bologna. I mean, even just playing, they were our first game of the season this year. And even without entertaining other players, I knew Toko was out. But I was like, man, I'm glad we're playing this team first, you know, because I can see them probably getting better as the season went, you know. So, I mean, adding a guy like Composo would be crazy for that team. And then even Partizan, like you said, they have a great team and they have they have everything. You know, I I even like uh the young point guard they have, Madar. They have, you know, he's he's a good player too. But adding adding like a guy like Composite to really any team <laughs> is a boost. So, uh, but those are the two that stick out for sure. By the way, what do you think about Campazzo's career in the NBA and, and let's say his future in the league? Of course, uh, now his future is doubtful since he is considering your league options. He had he played two seasons for Denver. He averaged 5.3 points, 3.3 assists. But in the, when the most important games of the season kicked in, uh, he was out of rotation. Um, I mean, personally, I'm kind of sad that he's returning to Europe because in today's league, I don't see many players taking the risk that Campasso took a few years ago, a couple of years ago. I mean, he left Madrid on 6 million uh, euro buyout. Of course, small part, like $700,000 uh, uh, was covered by Nuggets, but the rest was on Campasso's shoulders. And he earned a little bit above... Uh, six millions in in Denver, but there's taxes uh, as well. So he's basically coming back, you know, dropping dropping a couple of millions. And it's not just about the money. The guy uh, was willing to risk so much just to fulfill his NBA dream. And I mean, he had some good games in Denver. Uh, everybody in Nuggets, they love him. Uh, and he, 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 it doesn't mean that he's a bad player and he cannot play in the NBA, but I mean, would you see him any NBA fit, any NBA team, any, any NBA roster where he could play a, let's say, decent role and could be an important factor or be, will be, would be a successful player in, in, in the league? I think, I think highly composite. I think he's a good player. Um, but what people got to understand is not every good European player or pl any player who plays in Europe always translates to the NBA. Um, 
I do think that his opportunities were limited, but you have to remember he's playing the the most difficult position in the world, point guard. Um, so he went to the West Coast. So you're thinking in the West Coast, if you look at Portland, Damian Lillard, the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, John Morant from Memphis. I mean, it's just loaded with guards who are extremely high level. Like, I never really liked the Denver move. I knew Jamal Murray was hurt and stuff, but they just had so much depth. Like, mm-hmm. when when you want to get an NBA opportunity and, you know, you're you're probably – you're not a vet, but you're not young. You're kind of in that middle area of your career. You probably need to go to a team that's not in win-now mode, you know, because – a team that's in win-now mode is going to play veterans. Even if you might show something in practice, even if you're better than a coach is going to go by what he knows, what he's trust, what he saw. And like, like I said, Europe success doesn't always translate. So I think that after two years in the lead, um, his NBA career is probably bleak now at this point. Um, it's no uh, knock on his skills or his talent. It's just that, you know, after so many opportunities, after so many years, eventually they move on. They go to the next thing. They go to the next big player overseas or the next, you know, rookie. And as you get older, there's less motivation um, to play a guy, you know, to establish a guy. They would rather play a younger player. He's cheaper. He has more years, whatever the case may be. And, and he's good with the ball, right? But when you go to the NBA, they have a guy who makes $40 million a year who's good with the ball. They don't need that. They need someone who's just a defensive guy, a spot-up shooter, whatever um, the case may be. And I think he can't really utilize his full strength and his skill set because mm-hmm. they're never going to give a guy who's making I don't know, $2 million a year the ball. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, <laughs> that's not how the lead works. So I think you'll see him in Europe. Um, I think he's going to exhaust every opportunity because when you give up the amount of money he gave up um, to leave Madrid, to play to the NBA, that tells me that this was a dream of yours. This was something you always wanted to do. You always wanted to play in the league. And, you know, not many people will give up that type of money because you're not only giving up money, you're giving up role, you're giving up minutes, and you're giving up um, guaranteed spots. Like, he's a star in Europe. And, you know, everybody has a different path. Everybody has a different way. There's no right or wrong answer. But I think he would do everything he can to see what's going on with the NBA because he's already given up so much money. So it's not about the money for him. You know, it's about wanting to play in the league. And now mm-hmm. he might have reached a point where he's tired of sitting on the bench. You know, for me personally, I would rather play and be happy um, uh, than to sit the bench and watch, regardless of the money. It does not matter to me. Like, once you make enough money or a certain level of money, you know, your family's good. You can take care of yourself. Now you need mental happiness and health. So I think mm-hmm. um, he'll be in Europe, but I think it's going to be uh, reluctant and you know, his agent's going to be doing a lot of work on the back channels, but there's there's no jobs available for him. Regarding mental happiness, you mentioned, what do you think about the mental happiness in, in Milan? You just mentioned that they have so much talent. Uh, even though they're missing players right now, Kevin Pangos is injured. But for example, last year, Zenit, they basically played the entire season uh, without the main point guard, Shabazz Napier, Jordan, Billy, who's also right right now in Milan. Some other guys stepped in and they kind of covered the head hole and they still kept winning. So, I mean, what do you think, where's the problem in that team? Why why these guys, why these, some of them, they're good, at least spot-up shooters. Why they're not confident uh, in their own shot capabilities? Of They, they kind of, you know, seem, seem lost uh, on the court. They kind of, it looked like they lost the talent somewhere midway through the season. I mean, okay. No, I was going to say, I, I think it's tough, you know, after, 
you know, having for a whole team, not just one player. I mean, I'm I'm speaking from a player who has shooting slumps all the time, but you know, as a collective, if if the team is having shooting slumps, you know, you're not going to want to force the issue. You know, you want to, and and sometimes if everyone's not trying to force the issue, that's kind of what you'll see. But I mean, you know, I know my boy Billy. You know, he'll never have lose his confidence of his shot. I know he's been hurt, but a big piece I would have to say is Siobhan Shields being out. You know, I don't think enough people talk about it. Like. I know it's one player, but like he was a guy who, if stuff got bad, you give him the ball, he's gonna score a high volume of buckets for you. He's gonna he's gonna make those big baskets. You know things that they're missing. So yeah, they're scoring low points. Um, a lot of the games that they're playing, you know, they're 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 doing okay defensively. They're the games are really low scoring, but I think the injuries uh, on top of just kind of letting those 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 rough shooting nights kind of just jumble up and get into your mental because it happens but as a collective you know you kind of need someone who can just take that relief off you make those tough shots and I think that's where shield comes in yeah for me personally um I agree um, 100% with Jordan um anytime you lose a main piece um to a team it can kind of you know demoralize you and then you know if you start to lose a couple games um, you know, the energy gets bad, the pressure starts to come and, you know, guys start to overthink, overanalyze. And this is when experience comes into key and they have guys who are experienced, but I think they're in roles that they're not accustomed to just because mm-hmm. it's a new team. It's a new system. It's all these new things that you're trying to work through and trying to find where you fit. You know, when you often change players um, on a team, you know, roles aren't yet established. You know, what does the coach want me to do here? You know, you might've had a whole different role last year on another team. Now you're trying to find you know, how can I be effective for this coach? And, you know, so that's that's a big part of the reason. The other part is that with Shields out, now they have no one who demands double teams or extra attention. So when when everybody can just play one-on-one defense on their guy, now you're shooting highly contested shots. You're not getting closeout attacks. You're not getting spot-up threes. And you're not getting any paint points because they don't have a back-to-the-basket player. Um, they have Davies, but he's I think he's better in, like, that pick rolling area. He can do some mm-hmm. post-ups. But, you know, the game's changed to the pick and roll. Um, they don't have isolation player. Um, the only player who can really manufacture their own points right now is Billy Barron off of a lot of staggers and screens. But in the modern year elite air, you know, teams might adjust their lineups and they might switch out. Now they take away that. If you don't have a guy who can post up and take advantage of the switch, what are you going to do? And then you add to the fact that guys are underperforming. Um, you know, shooters aren't making shots. You know, they go get a guy like Voitman, who's been a shooter his whole career, you know, at Cheska and has success. He's shooting 23% from three this year. You know, so then you're like, okay, maybe we can get it from Luigi Dottomi, a guy that would shoot almost 50% in Fenerbahce. He's shooting 33% from three. Um, and then you continue to go down the hall, down the line. Devon Hall, who had a great year last year, was unbelievable. He's shooting 25% from twos and 29% from threes. Um, then you continue to keep going. Like I can do this all day. Kevin Pangos is shooting 28% from three. Um, and, and I say this to say that it's not all on Messina. It's not all that. Like when you sign players, you're expecting them to do what they've done the majority of the career. Like I look at your career. I look at what you've done. And I'm not saying they can't turn it around. They can guys go through slumps, guys go through things. But when you're a guy who's not a defensive player and you're an offensive player, when you slump, it's different. If Jordan Lloyd misses shots, it's different because he plays defense. He create, he makes some things happen off the pick and roll. It's different. But when you're a guy who brings strictly offense to a certain team and you can't provide that, what is the coach to do? So 
you know, these are the problems here. And, you know, you continue to go down the line. You know, Deshaun Thomas has not been utilized much this year, but he's also shooting 30% from three. So the confidence is gone. You know, guys are timid. Guys are second. They're not having fun out there. They don't look happy. And, you know, it's a combination of adjusting the roles, the shields factor, and guys just underperforming. Some players might have to get in the gym, lock in, distract, uh, get get away from the noise. Don't distract yourself with any of the outside noise, any of the hate, and just focus on your craft. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the way to get over the shooting slump, right? You probably, as a scorer, you also had moments like that throughout your career. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said earlier, I mean, <laughs> I've had plenty I will have, and I, I've always had a lot of <laughs> shooting slumps, but, you know, you always, this is something I've done my whole life, so I don't think those guys over there are, like, doubting their skills or doubting why they're there. You know, they're all, like like we said, great players. You know, you just got to, like, kind of like E said, just, you know, not pay attention too much to the media and, You know, those guys are turning around. I'm confident that, you know, um, in, in the games coming forward, they're going to really play with a chip on their shoulder and just like any other player would. So, you know, I always say, like, you know, never too high, never too low. You know, whenever you're struggling or whenever things, you know, try to stay just even keel because there's going to be times where you feel like you're on top of the world and there's going to be times where you feel like you're under it. So, you know, just keep doing your routine. Those guys are professionals. They're, they're, they're great players, and I, I think they'll turn around. Yeah, the other team that is going through a difficult moment uh, right now is Maccabi Tel Aviv. They've lost five of the last six uh, games. They dropped to ninth place. And there are already some reports in Israel, for example, by Moses Barda from one, uh, saying that uh, Katash is on a hot seat and that Maccabi, they are considering at least four uh, candidates. Uh, the list includes Pablo Lasso, Sergio Hernandez, Igor Milicic, and Yanis uh, Sferopoulos. Uh, do you think the Coach Katash is the first to blame for for the recent uh, stretch, and just in general, uh, are you kind of surprised? Probably you got used to it, but what do you think about the patience in Europe um, regarding head coaching job? Um, I think for me, and this goes back to my <laughs> never too high, never too low. Um, Uh, comment, but I, I do think that in Europe there's a tendency to to really get rid of coaches or players with a quickness, and sometimes coaches or even players aren't able to really show their full potential, or uh, you know after three or four or five games, and it's like you know you can go on a winning streak after that, you can win a couple games after that, but in that amount of time, I don't feel like it's I don't feel like it's I don't I don't know how to say it, but I think. I think people need more time to be able to show what they really can do. You know, I'm not a big believer in, oh, first two games or we lost three or four games in a row. It's like the end of the world. But from a management standpoint, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they're not thinking like they're, they're like, oh, you know, this every game matters, which it does. Um, and we're not winning. So we have to do something. And so from a management standpoint, I feel like that's the mindset. But for me being a player and, and seeing, you know, having a lot of different teammates, a lot of different coaches and seeing some coaches get fired or some players get cut not even before December, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe they were underperforming, but, you know, who knows if they were to turn it around, you know, right after that, or if, or if they were given another chance or if they just made some different adjustments. So I'm more on the side of, you know, people getting a little more leniency. I really do feel like, you know, that they're, the, the lease is short, you know, to say, and I understand that, like, you know, uh, but from my point of view, I would love to see, you know, guys get a little more, a little more time. From what I see, um, I don't think uh, the coach needs fired. 
Um, they were fortunate with the start of the year lead schedule. Um, four out of their f- first five games were at home. Um, they're one of the strongest home courts. They always sell out. It's a passionate crowd. And now they're just hitting that road schedule, which is expected. When you have a new team, you have new players. I mean, not just one or two players. I mean, they went and changed the entire roster. And now, okay, you lose at Munich. Okay, you can't have this loss. This happens. But it was on the road. You lose at Red Star. On the road, another great, you know, mm-hmm. great team. You win at home against Olympiacos. You lose at Partizan on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only game that they lost at home, you know, in the last four was against Barcelona, which is, you know, one of the stronger teams throughout the competition. And then you get smacked by Basconia, but once again, you're on the road. So I think what you saw was a team that plays well at home with the crowd, with the energy, who has youth, who has athleticism. And then you saw the team that's new, that's still adjusting the roles, just still trying to figure out who they are in this system losing in a hostile environment. So the coach does not need fired. And for Maccabi to even fire him is an overreaction. You haven't made the yearly playoffs since 2015. Let's not act like you're used to being there. You know, if you go by tradition in the past, yes, you're used to success. But for the last, you know, eight, nine years, you haven't sniffed the playoffs. So it would be an extreme. They made the playoffs over- last year, but of course it was but also related to the it. fact that three Russians were uh, three Russian teams were yeah. out. Yeah, so can we really count this, you know, when the competition is changing, you eliminate teams? I don't know. Maybe they can count this if they feel, you know, feel good about this. But anytime you remove teams from a competition, to me, I feel like it's it's tainted, you know. So, you know, when the competition was had all the teams, they haven't made the playoffs. And I just feel like they've shown who they are. They've shown the potential. They're going to hit a rough patch. Now, with Poitiers out four to six months, it's going to happen. You know, there's ups and downs throughout the entire early season, but you're still in a solid, solid position. You've defended your home court. You got to get better on the road. Once you do that, you'll be better. And you need to find a third consistent score. You know, Lorenzo Brown's an excellent player, one of the best point guards in Europe. Um, he's doing his thing. He's leading the team. He's been excellent. Could cut down on the turnovers, but everything else, I mean, he plays beautiful basketball for them. Um, Continuing off of that run off the Eurobasket, uh, Way Baldwin has been a really good player for them. But I think sometimes there's been, you know, some lack of a third scoring option. And I think that's what you saw also with some of Ephesus' struggle. They only have two scoring options, you know, consistently. And that's why they lose. It's hard, you know, when teams are scoring 85 points a game to win with two players, even if they're great, even if they're both scoring 20 apiece, that's only 40 points. Where are you going to get your offensive productivity from? And I think once they find who that third score is supposed to be. I don't know if it's Bonzi. It could have been Alex. I don't know who it's going to be. But when that player emerges, you'll see them start to win more. You'll see them start to to show more consistency and they'll probably be better on the road. I actually think that the main problem is not the unoffensive on on end, but in defense. They're 17th in the defensive rating. Uh, they allowed 116 points uh, against Basconia. Bayern scored 98, Partizan 96. And in some cases, you still see this, you know, miscommunication in defense. Some guys, uh, they're still probably trying to find this chemistry, uh, especially defensively. And they have still have these loopholes that you should eliminate um, probably quicker uh, than right when that when we're, f- we're witnessing right now. Although I agree with Eric, I mean. They changed like almost how many, like 10 players this offseason. So it's a natural part of the process. But, you know, for looking from the management perspective, uh, 
probably these are the problems they can see that just like what Red Star did. Oh, let's bring some you know disciplined coach, some some straight hand to fix those things on the court, and it actually helped Red Star. Uh, but at this point, I mean, if Maccabi, um, from what I hear, this you know thing that Katash is on the hot seat, it's it's, it's real and around the team there is this uh, feeling that at any given moment the coach might be fired uh, and probably you know he's kind of counting his last days in terms of every game might be last for him unless he starts winning uh, i try to check their schedule and it's 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 pretty tough i mean they're hosting valencia valencia is a very unpredictable team uh, this this year they can beat uh, everybody uh, then they're going on a road trip to milan to, Vir to Bologna and Alba. So it's another uh, tough stretch for Maccabi given the fact that Alex Poitras uh, just been sidelined uh, sidelined for almost the entire season. Probably Wade Baldwin uh, will be uh, back um, on, on track. We saw that Darun Hillard just uh, came out of this uh, suspension. So, you know, it's 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 tricky situation for them. But if Maccabi will make this head coaching move, is going to be their eighth new head coach since the new EuroLeague format kicked in in 2016 and 17 season and actually ties for the first play for the place uh, first place and among the all the EuroLeague teams Red Star already had uh, eight different coaches uh, as well okay. and in Maccabi's case can we say that all these you know head coaching changes helped them I'm not so sure I cannot say that yeah. I mean I always believe that it's better for you to invest more money into this position to, to start some kind of the project uh, yeah, yeah. to give uh, the team for somebody you would trust for like three years. You cannot sign the head coach for two years. You cannot give him 10 new players and you know decide his fate in December after your main point guard like Lorenzo Brown joins the team in the end of September after a long uh, Eurobasket experience. I mean, I just think that it's it's unfair. And I mean, when you look at the standings, if if I would be a, an alien who just, you know, c comes here in, in planet of Earth and sees uh, EuroLeague standings, I see Maccabi at ninth place. I think that's a good result for Maccabi. I mean, the, the, the race is still tight from the bottom to, to the top. So... Uh, I I would be more patient, but we're we're definitely missing patient uh, patience here in Europe in Euroleague. Mm -hmm. Nothing to add, right? But whoa! By the way, what do you think about this Darwin Hillard's situation? Oh yeah, when when you bring it up, that's why I start thinking again. Like <laughs> that's a situation to me that you know. You, you can't have um you're already struggling you're trying to find a rhythm you're down you know a backcourt player you have a more than capable player right there that's the guy who who i thought would be the third scorer but the minutes haven't been there or the opportunity and, and he's a good player and from what i hear you know based on everything about his character everything people vouching for him i hear he's a good guy so i'm not sure exactly what happened there but if i'm a coach who's on the hot seat who possibly could be fired and there's a guy who could help me win you know, we're going to hash that out. We're going to have a conversation. There's going to be some type of meeting between me and him. And, and we're going to have to get on the same page because, you know, there's no point to, you know, to have an ego or, you know, to prove something or to prove a point you know, and lose games. Because ultimately you end up hurting the team, you hurt the fan base and, and you take away, um, 
you know, opportunities from a player. So I don't know who's right, who's wrong. If it's the coach, if it's the player, I don't know what, but based on, you know, track record, you know, I haven't heard anything bad about Hillard as a, as a person. What was, what was the situation exactly? They lost, not... to they lost to Jerusalem in Israeli Derby and a few hours uh, after the game, Darren posted something on Twitter like quoting Tupac from his interview, real eyes realize real lies. And from what we all understood from that suspension, probably the team or the head coach as it was reported on, on Israeli media thought that it was about him. Because Darun had a you know tough game, he scored only two points in ten minutes. So as the coach, I think that it was a you know part of the being frustrated. Coach is in a hot seat; he's losing a yeah. biggest game and biggest local game. You see your your player tweeting, and you all think that everybody just tries to attack you. So maybe he took mm -hmm. that personal, but I, I don't believe that that was the case. There's got to be more though, right? Like that. Got to be. You got to be. That's enough what, to suspend a player. That's why I, mean, I asked because. I don't know. I'm just not. I'm just speculating. Maybe there was some. You know. Maybe they they went uh, after each other. They, maybe there was some back and forth during the game. Maybe he said something, or at coach thought that he said something on the bench. I mean, maybe it was just just the top of the iceberg. I don't the top, know. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, yeah. Either like like Eric said, I think the biggest thing is just to handle stuff like that internally, especially something so minor like that. You know, I'm, like you said, we don't know everything, but. Just to just to handle something like that, have a meeting, hash it out, be grownups, you know what I'm saying? Be mature, talk it out, hash it out, and then be done with it. Because you know, now it's like it the suspension that raises even more questions, you know, and then losing games raises more questions. So it's like, you know, it'd have been nice to if that's all it was. And, you know, we we know DH, you know, like like great guy, you know, everybody loves him, great character and everything. So it's very interesting to, to something like that. And even if that was just a tweet, it's like there's a way bigger fish in the sea, you know, bigger problems. So uh, that's that's frustrating. Did you ever have any problems over Twitter posts in your career? Or you had your teammates that, you know, got hurt by, by something they've tweeted? Yeah, I mean, I've, um, not me personally. I mean, I'm sure some coaches and stuff, they always... When I first started my career, I think everybody wanted you just to be 100% basketball. But as time has moved on, I think people start to understand that, you know, there's only so much basketball in a day. Like, you can have other interests, you know, outside of working, outside of doing things. Who knows? I mean, I haven't had no problems. My coach is cool. We have understanding. They know I'm professional. I do my job every day. I come in and do the work first. But, like, some coaches do have a problem with players who potentially could get distracted. I mean, I had a teammate who you know, was active on social media in years past and um, our coaches did not like it. Our uh, management did not like it. And then it depends too on like your following. And then if you happen to be in a relationship and that person is also you know, with a big following or famous, it could be an issue. And I've seen it, you know, be a problem. But, you know, if you're doing the right things, coming in the gym, uh, getting your reps in, you know, they're not going to say anything if you're playing well. Like I've been on teams where if guys are playing well, a coach doesn't care if you go out, um, if you, you know, partake in beverages, um, your nightlife, they don't care. If you're playing good, everything's okay. But when you're playing bad or the team is losing, now everything is under the microscope. So <laughs> I always tell young players, if you lose, just don't go out that night if that's what you want to do. Like, just just don't. But if you win, you know, all is forgiven. <laughs> it's true, man. We're, we are under a, a, a definitely, you know, a, a 
everyone's looking at you. Everything you do is magnified, no matter what you say, no matter what you, you know, how you respond to fans. Um, I learned that it, when I was in Valencia, um, we played Fenerbahce and we had one. I was like a controversial call. Basically, I went to the basket, hit like a game winning layup, but it could have been a charge. And I remember the early came out with like the, they were like, oh, this should have been called a charge, you know, so this basket shouldn't have counted. And then I would quote tweet it and put the little walking emoji, you know, just like minding my business. And like, that's it. It was just like a couple emojis. And, you know, the Fenner fans went crazy. And I just realized like, man, my tweets, you know, they have a little bit of power now. You know, I got to <laughs> I got to pay attention to what I, I mean, they were killing me for like a week and I didn't even say anything bad about them. You know, I didn't do anything. Uh, but man, they like, they really let me have it. So like I do, a, I try to do a job, a good job of, uh, you know, making sure I be careful what I put out there, but guys shouldn't feel like they're walking on eggshells at the same time. You know, they should be able to say what they want to say. You know, um, like, like Eric said, basketball is a short part of, it's not our life. You know, it's just what we do. It's our job. You know, every, everybody has their own, you know, things that they like. So, um, you know, it's a little different in Europe and you kind of got to, it's not like it is in the States, but it is what it is. Could you guys give me like, your, could you guys give me your top three Twitter accounts you must follow if you're the Euroleague fan? Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> especially when he was playing Malcolm Delaney. Um, <laughs> he's nonstop comedy. He's uh, honest. He says what he thinks and he doesn't care. And so like, you know, I, I like that just because like it's, it's hard to get unfiltered opinions. Um, It's not easy for players to say what they think. Like, you could get a lot of backlash. I say what I think on the air. Sometimes people got something to say. Sometimes fans get mad. But this is just my take. You know, just like you watch a game, you know, you have your opinion, you have your views. I have mine as well. Um, Mike James, for sure. Comedy. He said no, he says what he thinks. He is He's hilarious <laughs> on there. And then um, third one, hmm, this is tough. Those two stand out. They're, I mean, they're, they're in a class of their own. <laughs> yeah, I about to say those are my those are the only two I can think of. I honestly they are, they are in a class of their own for sure. And uh, Will, yeah. Will Clyburn is also hilarious. Like, he he's not very active and you know on his own Twitter profile, but he likes to reply something. So he's also worth to follow. I seen the one sure. with Decolo, um when they said that something like Decolo couldn't beat um, Finner or something. Uh, no, it was Efes. Decolo couldn't beat Efes. Um, since Ottoman's been there or something. And then he um he retweeted it and just put 2019 with like the finger on the chin. And then Will <laughs> retweeted it and put the laughing emojis because he also was part of that 2019 Cheska championship team. But that was funny yeah. as well. Crazy. You mentioned Ephes. Uh I thought that they were back on track, you know, beating some some good teams. Their winning streak started with uh, Barcelona, then this Olympiacos game, uh, the replay of last year's Final Fours uh, semifinal. But then these guys faced you in, in you know, Karsiak, Izmir, and Eric McCollum. Uh, Eric, what do you think in general? Uh, did you see a different team? Did, did you see different FS team when on TV in the beginning of the EuroLeague season? What main differences you notice in, in, in their game? I mean, you saw a lot of things you've seen early. I mean, they're two players, the main guys, they're dominant. Um, Mises was excellent. Um, Will Clyburn was excellent. They were getting to the lane and finishing. Will was posting. Mises was, you know, finding his teammates, driving. I mean, they were tough. I mean, if you think, check the stats. I think Mises had 36 points, maybe not nine assists, you know. So, I mean, he did his part. Clyburn had 24 and like seven. 
Like, I mean, we, we were trying to do, you know, different looks, different things, but they're good players. Um, and it gets to the point where, you know, we just made a decision that, you know, those two are, are going to probably get theirs. You know, we just can't make it easy, but we need to make sure no one else gets off. And I think we really locked in on Bobo. Like that was a key focus to make sure, because he's that third option that really gets him going. And when he's hitting those shots off those staggers, off those screens, um, you know, it can be a nightmare for you because, you know, as you've seen, Mises and Clyburn are capable of scoring 50 every night. And if you let Bobo get that 20, uh, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So we really focused on him. We stopped him from getting a rhythm, uh, limited his uh, shots off those staggers and those screens, and that was successful for us. And then we attacked him, you know, defensively. Even though he's a good defensive player, he's solid. Um, anytime a guy, you know, is good on offense, you need to make them work on the other end, just kind of take away your shooting, especially a three-point shooter, because that's a shot that requires a lot of legs. So, you know, that kind of was our, our mindset going into it. And, um, you know, just being solid defensively. Um, don't let you know, Tibor Plyce get those easy pick and pop shots. You know, don't let the ball get those staggers. Um, you know, take away those looks. And I think it helped us too that um Mbaye was uh sick. So he didn't play that game. So now they miss, you know, their stretch four, you know, someone who can kind of move laterally, who can, you know, do some damage on switching defense, but also has that um, athleticism to rebound. But I think they're a good team. I think you're gonna see them turn the corner. Shane's close to returning. They're really just missing him. But once Shane comes back. I mean, it's going to be a well-oiled machine. Now you got three guys who are pretty much tough to contain, who require extra defensive attention, but you can't double three players. So, like, you're going to have to pick and choose what you're going to do. Um, and you're going to see them probably kind of similar to to that Monaco team that Jordan has. I mean, you got three guys who can create, um, who can play one-on-one, um, or who can play the pick and row. Um, they're a little bit taller, but – you know, something like that. And, and they're surrounded by shooters uh, from the five position to four. And I think that's all it is. We've seen it before in the past. With Shane out, they struggle. It's just what it is. Um, and he'll come back and he'll be refreshed and rejuvenated. Man, you can never you can never count that team out, man. When No matter how they start, it's just like <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going on in the year, what time of the year. It's like I'm always like they're going to be around. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the year, they're going to be there. So. I mean, with Shane coming back, I mean, obviously that's going to be a crazy boost. And then, like you said, to me, Will has been top two best players of the year so far in EuroLeague. So, if he's, not he's the best. He's a shooter now. Oof. He's a shooter now, right? I mean, like, <laughs> well, he's, I mean, he's always been, a, I mean, playing him even last year in the VTB Finals, man. Like, just the way he was pulling up for threes and, and just, I mean, just scoring at like five different levels. I mean, it was, it's insane. So, I mean, just to bring Shane to the mix is is a cheat code in itself. Uh, and then, you know, obviously they have the same pieces. And then Boubois, I mean, he's, you know, not talked about as much, but man, he's like one, one of the best shooters in Europe. And mm-hmm. man, I mean, like dead eye, dead eye shooter. So, I mean, they they have everything, no matter if they go on a five game losing streak, five game, whatever. I mean, they're they're always going to be there and they have every piece they need to, to get back to where they want. If we have... Uh... Ellie, you and Mike playing against Will, Voss, and Chain three on three. What's what's your way to beat them? Oh well, you know now I was just giving them some props, but you know we are gonna handle that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're talking about my my guys, my brothers. You know, so we gonna we gonna be all right. We a little undersized, you know, but you know, uh, compared to to maybe to maybe Will, but you know, three on three, that's gonna be a lot of 
well, whoever gets it really probably just going to shoot it. So, <laughs> I mean, whoever's feeling good that they just keep getting the ball and see if the other one can stop them. You know, it'll probably be the first to miss. <laughs> now, Will is awesome. I mean, during this four-game winning streak, he's averaging over 23 points per game, which is which is unbelievable. I mean, he became almost 50% three-point shooter. And I remember what kind of adjustments uh, and improvement he did compared to his days in, in Germany or in, in Darushafaka, for example. He was just slightly above above 30% three-point shooter uh, in EuroLeague, in EuroCup at all, at all levels. When he joined CSKA, when, he, when Dimitri Stutis uh, started coaching him, I mean, his his numbers improved significantly. His average uh, shooting beyond the arc in in Moscow through five years was like thirty six percent, I think, which is already makes him decent shooter. Uh, because most of the shots he's taking, it's it's these not these are not open looks. These are tough shots, especially now. I mean, he's he's shooting the ball like LeBron James. I mean, he's very uh, tough to guard, and that's what Olympiakos uh, had to deal with. I mean, I think that. FS basically won the game in the fourth quarter because Will started doing Will Clyburn things. He was just unguardable. And, and, and that was tough and that will be tough uh, to handle during the season. But I think that the main difference for, for FS, it, a lot of different things goes in this combination. For example, it starts from the team meeting the team had before Barcelona game. So I, I would call it a mental adjustment. Uh, there was a team meeting. Uh, there was, a, I would say, a meeting between Will, Will, Shane, uh, Vasa, how they should play, how how they should improve their game. Uh, the coaching staff they started to make some some more adjustments on, on their opponents, uh, how to you know get 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 some interesting uh, ideas into the game. And I also noticed what they did. They put Ante Zizic out of rotation. He was playing way more uh, before this winning streak. He was playing almost 18 minutes per game, but now he's basically the third center on FS. And I believe to this day, no matter how much input Ante Zizic gives offensively, that he's skilled uh, post-up player, that he's a good roller, that he's a big body on in, in the block. I mean, it's Brian Dunstan, and Tibor Plies, I think they're just a better fit next to players like Clyburn, Misic, or Bobois, or Elijah Bryant. Also, he's bringing his role. I think that Amat Mbaye, uh, he's also very important by stretching the floor and doing some, you know, hustle plays, like few blocks he, he, he did against Barcelona. So, I mean, this rotation, this not the role players, these assets, these pieces, I think that they made the difference, adjusting their game and being closer to, to Vasa's and Clyburn's level. Yeah, I think um, you hit it right on the head. Like, Will Clyburn's play has been phenomenal. Um, I always thought the last four or five years he was the best three in Europe, and now he's just elevated. I mean, to the point where he was just shooting the ball so well, and me playing against him four years in Russia, a year in Turkey. Like, I know Will, and I know his game. I had to message him, and I just told him, like, I don't know what you did over the summer, but you are a bona fide shooter now because he's always been um, impossible to to contain getting to the rim. You know, you put somebody small on him, he goes to the block. You put somebody tall on him, he pulls him out, beats him off the dribble. You know, he was really good for finishing at the rim, dunking, little touch float shots, hooks. But now he's shooting step backs, pull-ups, mid-range games. I, I, I told him, I said, I don't know where this came from, but hey, I can tell you put the time in the gym and it's paying off. And I think, you know, 
I'm just imagining if FS wasn't able to get him this summer, you know, they would have been in a world of trouble, but they're going to be fine. They're going to get it together. Um, they're going to continue to play. I think Zizic coming out was uh, strategic to keep the paint open for Misic and uh, Clyburn, you know, for that spacing and that shooting. I think Zizic has been good, but um, Ottoman really likes a five-man shooter. And, you know, obviously he can't do it for 40 minutes, but, you know, with Plyce's size, you know, it gives him that kind of flexibility. And anytime you're in the struggle, your, your comfort is to go back to what works, right? So you go back to the guys who you won with. You go back to the guys who you've had success with. You know, as a coach, it's what I would do too. Um, I've been, you know, in battles with you. I've been in the war with you. I know, you know, how you at, react under pressure. You know, sometimes you get a new player on a new team. You don't really know. You know, you don't trust mm -hmm. them as much yet because it's still early. But I do believe those guys will gain his trust. And right now he's just challenging him. Them. I played with Ottoman for uh, two and a half seasons. And, you know, it's never um, uncommon for him to go to the media, to issue challenges, sometimes to, you know, to say something about your performance. I mean, he does it to the best player, you know, from the MVP. He does it from the last man on the bench. So, you know, it's all about your mindset, how you respond. So I hope these guys are tough mentally. And, you know, and they take it as a challenge rather than the disrespect. You know, if you do take it as disrespect, you know, just, you know, use that to fuel you, you know, when you're in the gym, when you're on the court, you know, those type of things. But, you know, Adamant, he does a lot of mind games, mind tricks to kind of motivate his players. And I think this is what you're seeing with the, the call outs and the challenges lately. Yeah, I think it happened with uh, Misich and four of, of, of the five starting five players in the game against Olympiacos. They were subbed out after two minutes uh, of the oh, game really? in the first quarter. Yeah. And, you know, what's funny, of course, for example, Misic, he had a horrible first quarter. Uh, he was like, he scored like zero points. He made like three turnovers, but he finished the game close to the triple-double. And he was also <laughs> important in the fourth quarter. Uh, how do you guys react to that kind of coaching? You know, how, how you approach those situations when you start, when you know that you're important on your team, and your head coach, you know, subs you out uh, after two minutes of play. I gotta say, it's a. It starts with the maturity factor. Even for me, like, it's taking. This is what, and this is what four years now in <laughs> playing uh, Euroleague or my, my fourth year. So it's like, you really have to have that that maturity and that men, that mental toughness to know, like, okay, this is something else going on. You know, even if and if you're not playing well, you need to sit down. You know, like I remember when we played Ephes this past uh, beginning of the year this year, I mean, I had a terrible game. I didn't play well and I didn't finish the game. And so it's like I can't be mad at coach for not finishing. You know, I have to, it's myself. You know, if I'm not playing well, I'll be the first to tell you, take me out, put someone else in. Or if I'm going to be out there, I'm going to try to find something else I can do. So if I have a rough start and, um, you know, and coach takes me out first two, three minutes, yeah, it's going to suck. I'm not going to say it's like, you're just going to be like, oh, okay, whatever. You're going to kind of be upset. Obviously, you're going to be like, you want to play. Every hooper wants to hoop. But it's a maturity factor. As the years have went on for me, I realized like, okay, you're going to go back in the game, you know, calm down. And once you go back in the game, focus at the task at hand, do your job. And then usually, you know, if you have a rough start, you can still finish the game, you know, with the amount of minutes that, that I'm getting. You can still finish the game with a decent game, even if it's not just the way you're shooting. So uh, I'm not going to sit here and act like it, it's just going to be, you know, you know, flowers and, and peachy, you know, once you come out the game early, but sometimes that does motivate you kind of like what you just said. And it puts that, it lights a fire under you and you come out and you play a lot better. So uh, sometimes you need a little bit of a, of a, of a boost and sometimes that can give it to you. Eric, were you challenged, uh, challenged by Ataman when you played for Galatasaray? Huh. 
all the time all the time um <laughs> i remember um we were playing in the euro cup uh we had just made it to the euro cup finals um we hadn't played a game yet we had a turkish league game and um i was playing in the game and then i felt like a, a, a like somebody kicked me in my leg i turned around and nobody was there and i had a a, a strained calf muscle luckily and I, I was scared, you know, I was, I didn't know what was wrong. And of course, you know, we got the Euro Cup uh, finals coming up. I literally had like maybe uh, six or seven days before the game came. And they were saying that I had a, a grade one uh, or a grade two. If say It was in the middle. It wasn't quite one, but it wasn't quite two. And they were like, you really probably need uh, two to three weeks. And I'm thinking like, oh man, I don't have time. And I just got MVP. Uh, first team, you know, one of the top scores, whatever, like had a great season. And so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to try to play. You know, obviously my team knows I'm hurt. I didn't practice all week. And then I just, you know, the day before the game, I get out there, I got my sleeve on. And, and obviously I don't play that well. Uh, he knows I'm hurt. I play like, you know, 17 minutes. You know, I'm not explosive. I'm not quick. You know, I'm not able to get to my spots like I want, but I'm fighting. I'm trying. I'm Maybe I finished the game with like six points or eight points. And you know, I was averaging, you know, like 19 or 20. And uh, he goes to the media and he says, um, <laughs> our MVP did not play like an MVP tonight. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I have a torn calf muscle and I'm trying to to do everything I can for you. But me, I didn't get, you know, too mad because I knew he believed in me as a player because I was hurt and I didn't practice all week. And he still put me on the court. And I know he just thought highly of me, but I, I was younger, so I wasn't as level-headed as now. So I was a little bit upset. So, like, we had, like, uh, five days in between the next game, so I got to rest and get there. And so the whole time I'm thinking, like, oh, he got me fucked up. When this game <laughs> start, like, I'm about to I'm about he to was go. On go. Oh, what? Yeah. And so, like, but he was smart. He rested me. I didn't play much in the first half because now we're probably at, like, day, day 13, day 12. So I'm starting to feel a little better. I'm starting to feel good. And mm-hmm. I don't play much in the first half. And I think in the fourth quarter, I scored like 13 points or 14 points, have yeah. like a couple black couple rebounds. Like I just take the game over. And um, and then um when uh, I'm hitting shots, like big shots, boom, crowd's going crazy. Of course, we win the championship. And as I'm hitting shots, I, I just whisper in his ear, do I look like an MVP now? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he started laughing. He started laughing and he hugged me. And so like that was the... Like that was like kind of how we go, and usually like Adam, you don't really have like a lot of communication with him. Like it's just not he just you know he does his job, you know, has his things, but like a lot of play you don't have communication with him. But we won a title, and that was like the most <laughs> conversation we had, you know. So it was yeah. just an interesting moment. But that was when he challenged me, and I was like, I was a little upset, but you know, it ended up you know working because I was a a, a competitor. And I took it and I used it the right way. But, you know, it, it, I mean, if I didn't have the right mindset, I could have went a whole different direction. Mm-hmm. By the way, you mentioned that you texted Will about his three-point shooting. What, what did he respond? He told me that he said what changed for him was um, the year he was um, at Drusafaka and they played Real Madrid. And he said they were guarding him in the paint with the tall guy. So like kind of like how Ben Simmons was guarded. So they just stayed back and they were daring him to shoot. And he was like, he was like, what is going? No way. He said, once that happened, I said, oh, I got to fix my shot. So he got in the gym, started shooting, started working. And then he just said that every year he wanted to add something more. And this was the year 
you know, after he got comfortable, you know, shooting all the spot ups, you know, this was the year he wanted to add the mid range. Cause I told him I had never seen him. I've been playing against you for six years. I've never <laughs> seen you shoot mid range pull-ups and mid range step backs. I told him, I said, it looked like you still in my moves. Like I told him to stop, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he really put the work in and, um, you know, I, I told him I was proud of it because anytime I see a guy like, you know, hone their craft, do those things, I'm like, man, hey, you look good out there. Like, I'm a guy that shows love. And if you play at a certain level, you know, I'm going to commend you. And, and he's doing that. But he he put the time in. And, you know, you can blame Real Madrid for the new and improved <laughs> Will Clyburn because you're the reason that he he stepped up and said, I'm going I'm to get this jumper right. That's a good. That's a good statement. By the way, uh, remembering remembering all all those good times, what do you remember about Kruno Simon? Uh, I I was actually surprised that he got his jersey retired in in FS uh, Arena, uh, because usually you know only these top scorers, legendary players, uh, you know the biggest stars of the game, they got this ceremony. But now they started from from Kruno Simon. And I can see that every year they will, you know, hang up uh, those jerseys to drafters of Misic, uh, Larkin, I don't know, Dunstan, Singleton, a lot of players of this, uh, one of the greatest EuroLeague franchise uh, teams uh, we're witnessing at the moment. And I don't know Kruno Simon personally, but probably he is the best combination for me uh, of, of skill, of reading the game, IQ of the game. Um, being a great teammate, good teammate, and at the same time enjoying the life out uh, outside the floor. Did you have any experiences with Kruno, Eric? Oh yeah, for sure. So um, <laughs> Kruno was a guy who, you know, he didn't like practice. You know, not a lot, not exactly. a lot of us do, but <laughs> who does? He, he really didn't like practice. <laughs> and um, you know, he's a guy that just. He looks like a guy who, you know, works a nine to five. Um, you would never think that he's a basketball player, but like he gets on the court, um, he can see everything. Like on a pick and roll, corner pass, wing pass behind him, the big man. And like I never seen the guy so like slow, um, not as athletic, but continue to find like spaces and cracks in the offense. And like he's just a really smart player. Like You know what he made what he maybe lacked in some of the physical attributes and athleticism. Um, he more than had an intelligence and skill set. Like excellent shooter. You know he has an amazing like left hand running hook. Like I, I actually started practicing it because of him because he would get in the lane and he would get stuck and he would just like reach back like Magic or Kareem and just do this running hook and he had the ability to bank it or float it like anything. And I was like, man, that's a good shot. That's unblockable. So I just started running, working on my right hand running hook when I get to the lane. So, like, but he's a guy that like you would you would completely underestimate. But um, he's super intelligent. You know, he was a um, a good role piece um, for FS. You know, during their runs, and you know, he kind of um, you know was an integral part you know, of some of those championships with those guys. Um, you know, they had really good role players those years. They had those those big two and Mises and Larkin, but you know. He was a guy that stayed, you know, throughout FS, through the ups and downs. And I think they just rewarded him because they brought those two championships. You know, he was there for the low points, for the high points, as well as Dunstan. So, you know, like you said, if they retired his, I imagine Dunstan's is soon to follow. You know, he's been the captain. He's been there probably seven years. And then there's no question, uh, Mises and, and Shane's jersey will be tied. And 
you know, who knows if Clyburn stays in Memphis long enough, you know, you know, and he's able to bring some hardware, maybe he can, you know, be along in those lines. When you mentioned all those things about Kruno, actually, when I was listening to you, I kind of thought that the same, you know, the same profile belongs to Sasha Vizenkov. You you would never <laughs> say that he is the potential MVP. He is not the most athletic. He's the mo not the most explosive. He's not the fastest guy on, on the floor, but he's so efficient. I mean, he's so smart. He's a great teammate. W what do you guys think about his uh, MVP case? I mean, you can't argue with with the numbers, man. I mean, he's sometimes I'll come after I'll I'll check the, the stats and I I mean it's crazy. And then didn't he just score like he didn't dribble one time or something? And he had so many or twenty like twenty four points. I mean that's that, I mean that 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 speaks to the system as well. You know how great Olympiacos have you know running their plays and but looking for him and but also it's on him. You know to he's super efficient and then it. it makes me think about, you know, guys like Miritich, how efficient he is. And then, you know, Bazinka, but like those guys, when you're efficient and you're doing it night in, doesn't matter who you're playing, doesn't matter the situation. I mean, you're always going to have an MVP case and then your team is winning. You know, you have a top team, you know, they made the final four last year. So, uh, you know, you already know where my MVP, my front runner is, you know, where, you know, where that is my boy, Mike, but obviously he has, Bazinka has a, has a, has a good case. Yeah. Um I mean, he's special. Um, he's the best four in Europe um, outside of Miritich. Because, um, you know, he's like a four and a half. Miritich is so big. Yeah. He can do everything. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what, why I like Vazinkov is because he he's a four that is an excellent shooter. But most fours who can shoot the basketball, they don't rebound, right? This is a guy who gets eight rebounds a game, you know, who shoots the mm -hmm. three 41%. You know, he, he shoot almost, what, 87, 88% from the line, 67 from twos. And what what uh, separates him from the other fours is he has the quickest release. I'm telling you, like, when he gets out of those screens, he's really good footwork, setting the screen, getting his mm -hmm. feet out, popping. And that release from catch to the release point is is lightning quick, so he can get off anyone. And he has an excellent pump fake, and he's good in closeout situations. So he's good at attacking, and he has a nice little float game in there. But his numbers are outrageous. I mean, 20 points a game, eight, eight yeah. rebounds, and he's showing a, a little bit of playmaking, you know, two assists a game, which is, you know, a guy who doesn't dribble much, you know, to get two assists a game, it shows, <laughs> you know, you're, right. you're looking for your teammates too. So I think just to see his growth has been special because I remember when he was at Barcelona – and you know, I didn't really think he was that good of a player just because of the struggles. And as we've seen, sometimes, you know, when you're young, you're in a system, it doesn't fit you or, you know, they're not tailoring it to your strength. You might struggle. And then as I started to see his growth and see him blossom, I was like, OK, so I see the talent. I see the potential. And I see what Barcelona saw. Maybe he wasn't ready at that time, but you see that growth and, you know, see that jump he took. It shows me it's a guy who has work ethic. You know, I don't know him personally, but you don't just improve like this. Um in such mm -hmm. a small window when you're talking about three to four years, four to five years, uh, his growth has been um, enormous and uh, anything he gets, he deserves. And for sure he will be an NBA because his height, you know, you're talking about somebody who's six foot nine, who can shoot it like that with a quick trigger, the way the modern NBA game is um, Sacramento will come get him um, immediately ASAP because <laughs> the size and shooting always translates everywhere in the world. Always, always. Oh, so you think he, he would be a good fit for Sacramento? Even for this winning Sacramento team, I think um, 
De'Aaron Fox is really fast and quick and good at creating things for his teammates. Um, I think it would have been better if Sacramento starts to lose a little bit. You know, maybe not be the losing Sacramento, but like the Sacramento who's in the play-in or just missing the play-in because they're more likely to play guys. But when you're in win-now mode, um, it's it's harder to fight into that rotation because if they have too much success, they're going to think they don't need to make many changes. But mm-hmm. if you fall short, you know, teams are going back to the drawing board. What can we do? And that's where he can have a great opportunity. But the way he shoots, um, you're going to find a way to get him on the floor. I mean, you see it um, with Strauss in Miami. You know, he's not the same height, but he's a guy that just shoots or, or Nang in Philly. Um, you know, anytime you're a guy who can really shoot the basketball, they will find a spot for you on that floor. You know, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, but he's going to find a space on that floor to give those star players, those guys who make 40, 45 million a year, to give them room to operate. Yeah, I agree. By the way, Jordan, I have a an argument for you to share with Mike for this MVP race uh, stuff, because I remember he was very close of getting the MVP award last year, but Nikola Mirotic got it. So mm-hmm. Sasha Vizenkov scores 17.5 points in first three quarters, but in the last quarter, he averages only 2.4 points, while the best mm. players, they average around six. And actually, uh, Sasha didn't connect a single three-pointer so far in the four quarters of the game. So can you give the MVP award for the player who's not uh, you know, making the most important shots in the fourth quarter? That's the argument That's that Mike James can use uh, for his case. For sure. Yeah, you know, Mike gonna have a few arguments. I'm sure he'll have more than one. But yeah, I mean, if they if they get that if they get that that technical with it, you know, you obviously wanna you want a player that's you know shows up in the in the crunch time. And not to say that he doesn't, uh, Vazinkov, but you know, it's a, he he has a loaded team, and I'm sure other guys are doing things. But uh, yeah, you know, you know, Mike Mike's gonna get to his stuff one through four quarters. You know, he's gonna really he's gonna do what he has to do. So. It'll be interesting to see at the end of the year. You know, Mike got the the um, the uh, MVP of the month last month. But the cool thing about it is Mike is really, you know, embracing the the flow of the team. You know, he's embracing getting others involved. He's embracing kind of being that leader. So it's really cool to see him, you know, be really efficient, really play well. And maybe a little less minutes than last year. He's still, you know, I think from uh, the minutes he averaged. But just to see him in the flow of the game, get to his shots and and get other guys involved has been really cool. So he's uh he's been fun to play with. Yeah, it's gonna be a great race. I, I I think that it also will be related uh, to the fact who will make the final four, whether it will be Monaco or Olympiacos. Mm-hmm. I think the one who will lead his team in the final four. I hope both of you guys, both of the teams, will make it. Uh, uh, it might decide this this you know MVP award nominee. Winning, winning is everything. Yeah. And just the last thing, Jordan, you're actually facing the hottest yearly team at the moment, Real Madrid. They won six or seven. No, they won six in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. And and they beat some really good teams on, on, on the way, including Fenerbahce, although they were missing a lot of important players last week. But anyways, what do you think? What makes them so so dangerous, so good at the moment? We all we all actually watched the uh, Fenerbahce and a Madrid game. And one thing you notice when you play Finner is how, how much size they have. And they're a huge team, probably one of the bigger teams I ever played against. And Madrid is a huge team. So they had size to match uh, to match that and match up well uh, versus Finner. And then when Madrid is making shots, they made a lot of threes. When Deck is hitting threes and then, you know, 
taking them in the paint, just being really diverse. Hitting, I felt like that game, they were really hitting them from all angles and Finner really had no answer. Uh, but, I mean, Madrid has just about every piece they need, obviously. And then, you know, I always talk about Tavares. You know, he's literally a one-man defense, man. Like, you know, he, he clogs that paint. He, he can switch on the guards. He moves his feet well. Um, and they have everything they need. So, um, you know, we haven't started game planning for them yet. You know, we have a big game versus Asbel tomorrow uh, first. But, you know, they're a hot team, you know, obviously. And we have to try to find ways to uh, take them off the offensive boards because they do that really well. They're physical. And, you know, we got to make shots. You know, when we go to Madrid, you have to be really confident, take those shots, hit those shots, and see what happens. Yeah, I think at, at one point against Fenerbahce, they have a five with Janan Musa as a point guard. I think that Alberto Balte was also playing next to him. Well, there was yeah. Gabriel Degg as the freeman, per, Petr Corneli as a foreman, and Walter Tavares. I mean, all those guys, they're above two yeah. meters and way more yeah. than two meters. So <laughs> you got to, and that's the thing. And then I think for us, I think we have a, we have a, we have a team that can run. We haven't been that great in transition this year yet, but I think the team like that, you really want to try to get up and down. You know, you, you don't want to really necessarily get into punch for punch. We've seen how that goes when they play partisan, how how many, how they can, they can really score with the best of you, but not necessarily just transition buckets, but just making them move side to side, making them, trying to tire them out. And then as the second half comes, you know, just uh, try to keep pushing. So it's tough, you know, like you said, they, they can start <laughs> biggest lineup probably in Europe, but, you know, they have their, their, um, their loopholes and we'll, we'll try to find them. Eric, what would be your advice for for Monaco coaching staff? Yeah, hit me, hit me, Eric, because you know Eric. Eric's been on, you know, ESPN. He's done the commentating <laughs> everywhere. So, Eric, you got some, man. You tell me. <laughs> I think the biggest thing um, is to play in transition. Um, you want to wear out yeah. Tavares. You want to take away his ability, you know, to clog the paint. You know, with you guys' speed, you know, you can create a lot of problems. I would set a lot of high ball screens to get you guys coming downhill at Tavares where yeah. you have that deep three pull up. You know, it's hard to shoot any mid-range shots on Tavares because you can't see the rim. But the three-point shot, you can do something with that. Um, snake dribble will be there a lot. So especially mm -hmm. if you're coming downhill, the bigs need to hold their screens. This is a game where they don't need to roll right away. Hold your screens. Make sure that guard is, you know, getting a clear view and make mm -hmm. Tavares have to make decisions. But I think that's the biggest thing there. Um, you know, and you're going to have to find a solution for Deck uh, just because of his size. They're going to probably utilize him a lot in the post, especially yeah. when y'all go three guards. So you're going to be the one probably front and fighting because you're the, <laughs> the strongest and the biggest out of the three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> and then um, y'all need to make uh, Lou and uh, Rodriguez work um, yeah. defensively. I think that y'all can give them nightmares. Um, there's really no rest for them because sometimes when they come in a the game, they might try to hide one of those two. Mm -hmm. And whether it's you... Um, who, uh, whether it's Mike, whether it's uh, Kobo, I think um, definitely those guys need to be in every pick and roll action, and uh, Monte Yunus needs to be holding those screens. For sure, I, I agree, especially with Demo uh, Monte Yunus. You know him being able to step out and stretch the floor. You know that kind of brings mm -hmm. the bars out as well. So, you know, I remember having similar success when I was in Valencia with, with Dubovic. You know, Big Doobie, he would step out, hit a couple threes. That kind of opened up the game. So. Uh, little things like that, but that was that's some good advice too. Man. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no problem, man. Shoot I, that pull up three, pull up three. I will, be man. For, you. <laughs> for sure, it, it's always there. Just got to knock it down. <laughs> Gentlemen, it was a lovely evening with you. Actually, yeah, I enjoyed this 
basketball conversation discussing some important things that are going on in the EuroLeague uh, at the moment. So thank, thanks a lot for your time, especially, you know, considering the fact that Jordan is playing a big game against Asvel. Eric is also has a big task ahead in, in the Champions League. Very important game against Bonn. I'm right. You're playing home or, or, or away? Home. Home. Okay. First time with fans too. So it's going to be packed. Mm. Oh, yeah. Enjoy that, bro. Yeah, so thanks a lot. Uh, best of luck for your for your upcoming games and uh, everybody follow these guys. As you notice, they have something to say about EuroLeague basketball. They are worth a follow. Uh, Mr. Um, Mr. J. Lloyd on Twitter and also Eric M. Free as well, right? So also hit some like and follow buttons on basketnews.com, both of, on Twitter, Instagram or YouTube channel. That's all. Thanks. Thanks, man.